0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to the confluence cast presented by columbus underground we are a weekly columbus centric podcast focusing on the civics lifestyle entertainment and people of our city i'm your host tim fulton this week It has been said that festivals are one of the best things about our community. By extension, the folks who conceive and orchestrate them are making the city measurably better. This week, on the occasion of the upcoming Hot Times Festival, organizer Candy Watkins discusses the origins of ComFest, why Hot Times Community Festival is the friendliest festival in town, and the importance of leaning in to ensure that these festivals continue to thrive. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the confluence cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website theconfluencecast.com or at patreon.com/confluence. The confluence cast is sponsored this week by the Upper Arlington Labor Day Arts Festival. The Upper Arlington Labor Day Arts Festival has celebrated and shared the arts with the community and the region for over 50 years. This event features fine art and fine crafts from over 120 artists, live performances, food trucks, and art activities. Join the fun at Northam Park on Monday, September 5th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. For more information, visit UpperArlington.gov L-D-A-F. Enjoy the interview. sitting down here virtually with candy watkins i think of as the person who helps put comfest or community festival together she has been volunteering or involved with comfest for the past 47 years we just wrapped up its 50th year we're here on the occasion of the upcoming hot times festival but really wanted to sit candy down and talk through the myriad of festivals and organizing and community development that she does. Candy, there's my intro for you. How are you?
1: Thank you. That was wonderful. I'm great.
0: How are you? I'm good. A couple episodes ago, somebody had brought up ComFest as one of the exemplary things about Columbus. I had given a little bit of a history lesson in that episode. Here's where it first started, and it's 50 years old want to get your perspective of what's the narrative of how that festival started and how you got involved three short years later.
1: Well, the festival was started by a group of community organizations working together, trying to find a way to showcase the works that they had done and the good works of other community organizations, like-minded organizations, um, reasonably progressive. And of course, back then, progressive was not even around. Um, but, but, um, and then it, it, it was on campus for a number of years and then Mm -hmm. it moved and it moved into the short North into a vacant lot that, um, we used to kind of refer to gleefully as the surface of the moon because we always had to fill all the holes in it every year in order to throw any kind of party. I believe it was the space where the old, um, hospital was torn down in the short North which is now a Victoria Gate. The Victoria Gate occupy that land. So for years we were there and our street fair just wrapped around that little area, came down Park Street, went down Russell Street, and um, we kind of partied in the dirt. There was no grass, (laughs) there was no plantings. Um, And then we asked the city if we could move into the park. And after some discussion... And some promises that we would help take care of the park, even back then, um, we were allowed to use the gazebo and ultimately, eventually, allowed to put in the bozo stage. And that's how we ended up in the park. Uh, what they had to do was, in the original park deed or the original land give from Lincoln Goodale, there had been a specified thing that there could be no vending in the park. I assume perhaps that had been, there had been some reason for that, you know, at the turn of the century, who knows. Um, But we had to, city council had to take care of that. And so as soon as we could vend in the park, then we could use the park, put the street fair through into the park and, and moved off of the land that became then Victoria Gate and Victoria Gate built.
0: Got it. And so... Just Is that part of the reason why the footprint of ComFest keeps most of the vendors outside of the physical park? Because I know they're on the street there.
1: They're on the street, and they also wind through what we call Shady Grove Road, which is the road that runs up to the shelter house. So we also have food trucks and vendors on Shady Grove Road and also on the small access road that goes out to the very, very old Goodale gates on Goodale. And we run them down the diagonal path sometimes, depending on how many vendors we have. So we do use the park for vending quite quite strongly, and uh, so does Pride, and so do yeah. several other events now. So it's it's served the city well.
0: Gotcha. Again, most of this is for those that don't know. Talk about the the organizing process. You guys meet once a month all year right? year round to... except
1: for august we take recess in august
0: got it because you're planning the hot times festival that makes sense talk through sort of the some of the things that folks don't know about that you have to organize and get ready for a festival like Comfest.
1: well i think most people don't see the back of the house so mm-hmm. what i really do is the back of the house um i do logistics and permitting and licensing i do event compliance with their licenses So, in other words, you tell them you're going to put your stage in X, Y, and Z, and then you put it somewhere else, then we move it back to X, Y, and Z if you want the city to sign off on your permits. Um, Okay. So, there there is always an ever-growing burden on the festival promoters and producers to meet with and adhere to the city and state uh, rules. Mm -hmm. So, it's an ongoing education process to keep. Up on all the rules, you know, how big a stage can be before you have to license it, how big the canopy can be before you have to have a third party engineer come in and give you mm-hmm. a letter to give to the city to say it's okay. Um, all of which, by the way, has to happen in like two days. Um, right. <laughs> so it's um, our city is trying very hard to roll most of the permitting for events into one document that everyone fills out. And that's pretty comprehensive. But we do still have some glitches wherein you still have to go somewhere else for this permit and somewhere else for that permit. At least right. not as bad as it was. But there are a substantial amount of permits, well over eight or 10 of them for each event. Right. Somebody has to put them in. It's hours worth of work. Maps have to be built. And then, mm-hmm. once all that is done, all the equipment has to be ordered. Fence, you know, fencing has to be measured and ordered, porta Johns, um, staging, tents, tables, and chairs, um, all these little things that nobody notices when they walk in an event. Um, mm-hmm. Those all have to be in place. And then the event can happen. So then we produce, which is the music, the art, the vendors. But you have to have your bricks and mortar in place for the event to be strong enough to stand.
0: Well, and with my couple of times pulling alcohol permits for (laughs) events, what has always been fascinating to me, and this is not to say that it's easy, but it's like an eight-step process. Mm -hmm. But at no point, if you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's, at no point is anybody going to tell you no. It's not an opinion like, right. I was granted this by the city. No, it's this is our park, and this is, like, right. you know. Of course, I'm sure there's some negotiation that has to happen, as you said, with, like, with vending in the park.
1: Well, there's also, when you're when you're licensing for a big stages, big equipment, you're licensing with fire and development, because you're building what they mm-hmm. call a temporary structure. And okay. so um, it all depends on people in development and fire and how they interpret the state code. What happens to okay. us out here. So in other words, I got a permit sprung on me between two festivals a week apart this year. okay new um, but we we managed to deal with it but something is always happening. there's always something cooking with, uh, permitting yeah. and licensing. I think the state is one of the easier ones to get through, but it truly does depend on a lot of times it comes down to the individual sitting behind the desk and how they feel that day. You know, okay. if they're having a bad day, you're having a bad day.
0: <laughs> got it. So c- going in with a, a, a positive outlook Absolutely. may help a little bit. Yeah. And you, and I assume Confess is sort of how you got your start in organizing festivals at this point okay (laughs) it's not okay
1: um i was part of a group called we can be and we can be owned all the stores on pearl alley for years and years we had charlie's guitar and eg leather sunshine which was a head shop and several other little shops and i had new territory leather outfitters and um we bought three buses because we wanted to all go to concerts together. And there were so many. Okay. And that was, oh, that was our downfall. Because, buddy, we could not sit in one place after we bought those. And we just, one day, just half of us took off and left and just left and went to Florida okay. to a pop festival where we worked because we had to work to get in. Because we didn't really take any money. <laughs> and uh, then we came home and realized we had to close all the stores and deal with all that. So we did that. And then we went back out on the road. And we started hiring ourselves out at festivals, big festivals as crew. So um, while we got hired at the Atlanta Pop Festival, the second Atlanta Pop Festival on the Byron Speedway around Byron, Georgia. Okay. Um our guys were not real fence builders, and that's what they had us doing. So we were leaving a few nails out so you could get <laughs> in the fences. And we got told <laughs> we'd better go across the street and work on the free side, and they'd take care of us and it'd be okay. So we went over okay. there, and we built staging and light towers, and they brought over equipment and generators and porta Johns and, because they had to build a free side to the festival.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in reality, I got married the first time on that stage. Um. so, you know, that's sort of where we learned to do festivals was doing them on the big pop festival scale out in the world. And then when we came back, these smaller things were really less cumbersome, a lot easier. Um, You weren't living there two weeks. You were, not you know, right. You weren't cleaning up after 50,000 million
0: people. But you could demonstrate to these to the, the folks who maybe had the idea but weren't necessarily executing it properly. You could say, like, I can raise my hand and know a little bit about how to put this together and let's contact the city. Because, again, it's a multi-step process, but at no point is anybody going to tell you no.
1: Usually not. Our city has always considered its festivals as its crown jewels. And mm-hmm. so do I. Um, and while it's becoming more expensive and a little more cumbersome permit-wise, um, and, of course, every everything you have, have to rent or buy or serve is much more expensive, um, I still feel that the festivals are going to survive and new ones are going to come up.
0: Yeah. Well, and ComFest is a nonprofit organization. You right. guys are able to fund the festival by way of alcohol sales. And then also right? the, you know, the vendors are giving a portion of their sales to the back to the festival. Yep. Talk about hot times, which I, which I think of as informally as the volunteer thank you party for <laughs> ComFest.
1: Well, hot times is this year, 45 years old. So it has been going on for a long time. This Festival happened when no one, when people said it couldn't because of the neighborhoods, and um, okay. and we always felt that this was a great neighborhood, you know, no different than any other neighborhood. Basically, Hot Times has had several homes, several different homes. It was on Broad Street for a while. It started on Eighteenth and Bryden, and it started as a neighborhood flea market, and it was called okay. Old Town East Flea Market. And then it got to be called the Old Townies Festival. And then it got to be called Hot Times, basically after the Howlin' Wolf song, Hot Times in the Old Town Tonight.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And it's been Hot Times for decades now. It moved onto the health department lawns in 1989. So it's been there for decades and only has just during COVID. And we did it somewhere else during COVID. But other than that, it's been just lovely it's was once called the friendliest festival in town by the columbus dispatch it's got open arms to everyone it is a a classy arts experience for the neighborhood so we bring art cars from all over the world we bring entertainers when we can afford them we bring in name entertainers but this year because it's an anniversary we're all local every single local every band is local we have three stages running. One is under a big tent, which is lovely. It's under a 60 by 120 foot tent, which is fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun to be in. And the other one is the size of the jazz stage comes okay And it is on the north end. And then we also perform off of the porch because the porch is just a natural stage there. And so we do small things, songwriters, singers, dancers, hill Hillel dancers, that kind of thing off of the uh, Porch So that there's some activity there. Um, This year, we have three art cars traveling in from out of town all over the country, uh, plus our local art cars. And uh, we have tons of great food lined up, vendors lined up. It should be a lot of fun. I think people are really interested in getting back out there, even though a lot of people still wear masks and we say masks are welcome. Yeah. I mean, you know, and we really are even considering asking people to wear masks under the big tent.
0: Well, I was about to say it's an outdoor thing. It is an outdoor thing. The the tent.
1: Right. It is an outdoor thing. We just leave it up to people. But I think, you know, you'll see masks and you won't see them and that'll be fine. Whatever. I think, you know, we still do a little social distancing. You know, we encourage all of those same things because it's really not gone away. It's just kind of faded. You know, but we still have to be careful and we have to be prudent. And I think the real turning point was being able to uh, vaccinate more people. So,
0: absolutely. So, would you characterize sort of the vibe as like a little bit more neighborhood oriented yes. to the ComFest, but largely very similar in terms of the type of folks that are there and what you can experience there?
1: Hot Time serves a different demographic. Okay. Okay, Hot Times, because of where it has been as traditionally has a major African-American component, is built a Mm -hmm. lot around African-American culture, dance, drumming, music, food, Mm -hmm. vendors. So um, ComFest really kind of had a problem with that for a while. They were hippies, white hippies.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, well, and there was some critique of it.
1: Right, And so the partnership between the two events has allowed both to grow really nicely so that now ComFest has lots of wonderful vendors from all different kinds of cultures and walks of life, whereas before they did not. And Hot Times has the ComFest thank you party, has mm-hmm. um, the support of ComFest equipment, ComFest volunteers working with it. So the mm-hmm. partnership really worked nicely. Um, I remember the first year Tony West and the Imani dancers were on the ComFest stage. How surprised the audience was and how, how they just cheered and screamed and because, you know, it, it was so new for most of the people. I, it, it's been a good. It's been a good partnership.
0: And how long has that been a formal partnership? Wow, a long time. <laughs> it's
1: hard to say. I mean, well, a lot since the beginning. I mean, okay, Arnett was playing in both places. You know, Arnett Howard. We kind of connected over performers for a while.
0: And right. Well, uh, I guess what I want to make explicit is that. The partnership didn't form as a result of the critiques that came no. a number of years ago. There was some media coverage calling out ComFest on being basically too white and not being. What's interesting to me and the way that we're talking here is that they claimed that it wasn't reflective of the community that it was in. What's interesting is it kinda was. It was just a bunch yeah. of old white just not, like, that, excuse was like a not white yuppie old, community. <laughs> right. This is what this is. But, but being more inclusive and aware of the world around, I think is what uh, you know, there was not hip hop at Comfest because Oh, but
1: now there is. But absolutely. not because of that. First off, if you if you know the music committees at all, Daryl Mendelssohn. Yeah. Um, serves on both festivals. And so it really, Daryl was able to pull performers from hot times to introduce them at ComFest and um, start those new genres to be Mm -hmm. played. You know, we had to change things up a little bit this year. So all the music got moved around. And so every stage had a mixture of music rather than having one have one like a jazz stage or a this or a that and we liked it because it got the crowd yeah. moving around you know if you didn't like that band you walked over here and you liked that band so for us the crowd moving is always good because then they're shopping and then they're drinking and then they're having fun and dancing and
0: absolutely
1: daryl was able to just cross that over very nicely in a lot of ways um susie simpson books the north stage the parson stage and she okay. book she books it a little differently and so when you you can look at them both and you can see that they work very hard at culturally making sure that all of the music reflects the community and reflect yeah. the people that are there and want to hear it it does rotate crowds through don't get me wrong demographics change through the course of a day at Comcast, at anywhere. You know, you have, you're playing hip-hop for two hours. You've got a different crowd than if you're playing classical music. Yeah. But everybody seems to love everything, and that's that's the key. Introduce everybody to everything.
0: I like that. You know. And you have been a part of some of the newer, you know, I don't think folks think of Highball as new anymore, but uh, have been a part of sort of, Bringing about these the new festivals as well, including the Whitehall Food Truck Festival, which I think is only like six years old.
1: I have a production company now called Centerline. It's refers to the okay. center line of the street, you know, the dotted line in the center of the street. And um, we do about six events a year now. Um, hi, I've always done highball Halloween since the beginning. Um, it's a lot of fun. What a great show. Mm -hmm. Um, I do taco festival now taco festival is lovely when food truck festivals downtown usually write their permits and do their compliance Um, a lot of shows I'll just do compliance for and do the permitting some shows I'll actually back of the house for but that's a vastly different job
0: got it and you are I mean there are at least in my head there's really only like a half a dozen of you that like do this formally know how to you know know exactly all the steps that you need to do. I mean, it's a it's a small it's a tight group of folks, and you guys all work together.
1: Um, there, are, yeah, we have we're really trying though to make sure that the permitting process and the logistics process for festivals is kind of more common ground. Um, okay. The like block parties still have to fill out some of the same stuff the big shows do. Yeah. You know, the more people that know how to do this, the more we know that into the future there'll still be crown jewels in our city. Yeah. You know, so I try and teach people to do it, even though, you know, I have a company that does it. And obviously, I have an economic reason to not teach people. I still try to teach people because the more people that know how to do it, the better.
0: Absolutely. And I think then that that's sort of the call to action here is help sustain those crown jewels that we have in festivals right. either by way of just volunteering or showing up to a monthly planning meeting or uh, getting in contact with organizers and lending a hand. And
1: I, I mean, volunteering of- is so important. A couple of hours of your time is nothing. You'll have a good time. You'll get a t-shirt, and maybe even a drink. Um, right. You know, it, it's so important and it culturally enriches you, even though you may say, oh, I don't want to get up and go do that. Once you get there, it is so yeah. fun and you know you're going to have fun. It's So sign up and volunteer and just even if you've never done it, try it out. Do something simple, you know, Absolutely. trash, uh, work a stage, you know, do something, work on the logistics crew, lift fences tables and chairs you know you don't have to do anything special every job is important every single one builds the show and tears it out by the way tearing it out is always hard
0: (laughs) yeah well and for those considering going to hot times there are volunteer opportunities on site as well
1: yep Sure. There Great. are. And it's a lovely site. It's at the health department, which is 240 Parsons Avenue. There's parking mm-hmm. up on the parking ramp in the back and in some of the neighborhood streets. Um, there are some parking lots around. So there is it's just a wonderful, wonderful scene. We have a lot of people ride their bicycles. Of course, a lot of people walk because it's in the community. Uh, right. But, you know, it's just lovely to stand on that site. You've got a gorgeous view of downtown. The sun sets over downtown. The music plays. The food smells great. You know, the children are running around and playing. And it's just a beautiful thing.
0: I love it. Candy, I end every interview by asking folks what they think Columbus is doing well or what Columbus does do well. And, of course, then there's a follow-up question of what is Columbus not doing so well. You can start with whichever you want. I, I love it when folks go beyond the auspices that we're here to talk about. So, gut check, what is Columbus <laughs> doing well?
1: Well, I think Columbus is doing a lot great. OK, I think it's doing some really bad things, too. I think unbright okay. development is not helping with a lot of tax credit and a lot of stuff where really the burden falls on the homeowners sitting in in the neighborhoods. And it's it's difficult to watch something get torn down that you liked. like. Like um, we had a park in our community. We had a deal mm-hmm. with an entity. I'll leave it unknown. Um, The deal was into perpetuity. The entity, some, both lawyers died. Um, Paperwork was not anywhere to be found. I certainly couldn't find anything I had. Um, They sold their ground for a oversized development in the community that no one wants, that doesn't have any affordable housing in it, that doesn't, you know, so our community And a lot of communities in Columbus are kind of suffering from that overbuild right now.
0: Um,
1: And people used to colloquially call it gentrification. Uh, But uh, that's just such a a vague term, really. Mm -hmm. Um, People interpret that differently. When you look at your older neighborhoods, they call it investing money we think investing money might be finishing the existing housing stock that's sitting in boards. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I think could be done a little bit better. I think they're doing beautiful things. The riverfront is fabulous. Mm Bicentennial Park is lovely. Genoa Park is lovely. I think there are plans for the other little chunk of ground there that I think they call West Bank Park or something. Um, Okay. It's that little chunk that's where the health department used to sit you know i just think all along the river they've done beautiful development you know it's very difficult in columbus right now with all the construction and with columbia gas tearing up the streets that could have been planned a little bit better but my understanding is that you have to let them come when they apply to come so okay you know because i have complained about it (laughs) (laughs) But um, because I couldn't even get home one day, I'm on the phone. I can't even get home. You got all the streets closed. But this too shall pass and we will have a beautiful city. So this is a great town. You know, every time I want to leave, I I don't. So I think it's a great town.
0: Candy, thank you so much for today.
1: Thank you. And can I say one thing? The dates for Hot Please. Times are September 9th, 10th, and 11th. Again, it's at 240 Parsons Avenue, and we'd love to see
0: everybody. Absolutely. And I will link to all that in the show notes as well. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite festival organizer. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.